You know, before we uh, consider um, our Bible reading this morning, um, you need to know that it is um, always uh, very gratifying um, when, and not just when an elder prays, but um, when he prays for the pastor, when he prays for the preaching. I think, you know, truth be told, if, you, if I can give you a little bit of an insider's view, um, sometimes pastors lead worship services, sometimes they preach, and they just, it seems, I guess, because they're doing it for a number of years, or just kind of comes naturally to them. It doesn't always come very naturally, and you have to work at it. And there's always uh, a sense, if you will, again, kind of an insider's look. Uh, and if you've ever had to do public speaking before, it can be rather um, intimidating. You wonder if you're going to have your wits about you. You wonder if you're going to have clarity of mind. Um, you wonder if you're going to say something you shouldn't and, and these kinds of things. But God is always gracious, and he's, he's gracious to me, and he is gracious to you. Remember, Jan, Jan prayed, you know, Lord, give us listening ears. And, uh, yeah, give us listening ears and give us active wills to respond to the word, right? So may that be the case here for this morning, because this is, um, we, we come across a very simple story told by Jesus, but it's a, it's a story that, while simple, at the same time, is pretty sophisticated, that's, that's the, the nature of Jesus' teaching. So we're in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, what I want to do is read verses 1 through 16, where Jesus teaches us a lesson about what we call generous grace. Generous grace. So let's draw attention to Matthew uh, chapter 20, and we we'll begin reading at verse 1. And kids, I want you to, 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 to follow along because... Again, when Jesus tells a story, it's for those who maybe have little to no knowledge of the truth, but also for young children. Um, stories are great for kids and for adults. So listen to this story. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire workers, laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius, that's a day's wage, a day's pay, he sent them to work in his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, that's nine in the morning, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour, that's noon, and the ninth hour, three, he did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, at five, or six, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. And he said to them, Well, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Again, that's a day's wage. Now, when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat of the day? But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. 
And am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. And I I think the, the, the kicker of this passage is found in verse 15, where the vineyard owner says to these men who've been working the longest of the day, right? Put in many more hours than those who are hired later in the day, he, he, he says to them who are upset that he's paying those who worked only a few hours the same as they who had worked many hours the day. He says, are you upset regarding my generosity of paying these men who maybe worked one or a few hours the same pay as you? Literally in the original language, he says this, is your eye evil because I am good? And what, what translators of the Bible have to do is they, they can put that literally in the Bible, but then the readers are going to go, well, what, what does that really mean? And so sometimes what they have to do is they have to translate that and put it in language that we can better understand today. And so again, the vineyard owner is saying to these men who've worked the longest part of the day and who are upset, listen, um, are you upset because I'm generous? Because I'm generous. God's not a stingy God as far as his grace and provision is concerned. If you've been a part of the Christian faith for a number of years, you know that. You know that when, when God gives, sometimes he gives more than what we ask, doesn't he? He's generous. He's generous with his grace. He's generous with his provision. That's what we see in this passage. And I want to begin with this. Because, because this naturally doesn't sit quite right with us, I think. Because it seems a little bit unfair. It seems a little bit imbalanced, okay? Um, I don't know about you, but um, something has always fascinated me, um, somewhat because I like to read biographies or autobiographies and also because I like history. Um, it's always, uh, conversion stories have always somewhat fascinate, fascinated me, and I don't know if it is with you. Uh, by conversion story, you know what I mean by that? Um, stories about people converted to the Christian faith. Um, people who have, have been changed by the grace of God and the personal work of Jesus Christ, right? And what's rather interesting is that when you look at history and when you read your Bibles, you see that every story of conversion is just a little bit different. Some conversions are, are, are sudden and dramatic. You think of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9. That was sudden, that was dramatic, and other people throughout history have experienced that. And other times, these conversions are rather subtle, Um, They're gradual, they are rather quiet. Um, I think of someone, a a name that a number of us are familiar with, maybe not all, John Calvin. Um, The Lord just kind of quietly worked in his heart over time, or a man, the the great writer C.S. Lewis also. Um, The Lord worked in his heart over a number of years of time before he was converted. And then there are some conversions that are what I call spurious, somewhat questionable. For instance, A.V., if you put that pick up right now, Anybody know who this man is? Little austere man here? Anyone? Galileo. Nope, not Galileo. Darwin. Charles Darwin. Charles Darwin is known for what? Teaching of what? Evolution, right? And uh, here's one other question. Anybody know what his greatest book on evolution was? Origin of Species, Origin of Species, okay, Charles Darwin. Now, when we think of Charles Darwin, we don't think of a Christian, but I don't know if you know this, and I'll be rather quick with this. 
But there is the story that Charles Darwin is actually converted to the Christian faith in the, in the latter days of his life. Did you know that? The story goes like this. Very quickly, there was a woman who's simply known as Lady Hope, who I don't know what her connection with Charles Darwin was, but she met Charles Darwin apparently in the final days of his life on his deathbed, and when she visited him, she found him reading the Bible, particularly reading the book of Hebrews. And during the time that he had with her, he divulged to her that he really regretted all the attention that he paid to evolution and the teaching of evolution. And then, allegedly, what he asked her to do is bring some friends with her so that they could speak with him about the Christian faith. He heard them, and he was actually converted to the Christian faith. Now, there was a, a well-known evangelist at the time whose name was Dwight Moody. And Dwight Moody heard about this, and he went to Lady Hope, and he said to Lady Hope, you need to have this story of his conversion published, which she got a paper in Boston to actually publish the story. And once the story was published, it was the family of Charles Darwin who saw this, and they said, this is not right, this never happened. And when you look at the public writings of Darwin, there's no indication that he ever converted to Jesus Christ. So the question is, did he actually convert or didn't he? Historians, researchers, they disagree, so we'll probably never know. But let's say this, for the sake of argument. Let's say that he did convert to the Christian faith. Isn't there something, even a little bit, in you that says, what's the deal? Charles Darwin converts to Christ, let's say, in the final moments or the final days of his life, and he gets the same reward as someone who has been following Christ and serving Christ all their life? Does that seem fair? A number of us have known Christ from our earliest years. We were raised in the Christian faith, right? And we can say, you know, there has never been a day where I have not known Christ and wanted to serve Him. Wonderful. That's a result of the grace of God. But sometimes God's grace works in a person where in the final moments of their life, think of the thief on the cross. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom and you remember what Jesus said. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, does it really seem fair that the thief on the cross or Charles Darwin should receive the same reward, eternal life, as someone who has been serving Christ all their life. Jesus is dealing with that very point here. And what our passage does, and I want to get into the wording of this passage, what this passage does is it presents us with an astounding truth. And the astounding truth is this, and it's very fundamental. The Christian faith is not a performance religion, but it's a grace-based religion. Jesus makes that point. Let's fill this out. Now, as I said in the beginning, this is a very simple story, but it's also a sophisticated story. Listen to the story once again. Jesus tells a very simple story about a vineyard owner. Now, kids, you could, maybe you think, well, what's a vineyard owner? A vineyard owner is an owner of a vineyard. Well, what's a vineyard? A vineyard is a place where you have a lot of vines and there's grapes growing on the vines. And eventually, at some point of the year, it has to be harvested, Right? So, we have many fields here in the Sumas Valley. We have strawberry fields, we have raspberry fields, blueberry fields, and kids, you know that at a certain point, whether it be in June or July and August, you have to harvest that fruit. Same thing with a vineyard. You've got these vines full of grapes, they need to be harvested, and the vineyard owner knows this. So, what does he do? He says, well, I've got to find workers. So, where does he go to find workers? He goes into the local town, and he goes to the marketplace, and he goes early in the morning. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us exactly what time of the morning that was. Let's say it's maybe around 5 or 6 in the morning. And he goes to the, he goes to the marketplace in the village, and he sees guys um, hanging out, 
And he figures, well, I'm going to go ask those guys if they want to work in the vineyard. So that's what he does. And he asks them to work in his vineyard, and there's a little bit of exchange between the two of them, and he basically says, listen, I want you to work in my vineyard, and I will pay you a denarius. Now, a denarius is not you know, a unit of money that we use today. Just figure, listen, for the sake of simplicity, it's just a day's wage, and it's a very fair wage. Okay? So these guys talk about it, and they agree, okay, we'll work for you for a denarius. So they go in the vineyard to work. And they're working for a time, and the vineyard owner figures, you know what? What I need is I need more workers. So what does he do? He keeps going back to the marketplace throughout the day. So he hires these guys early in the morning. They're now working in the vineyard. Then he goes back. And when does he go back? He goes at 9, and then he goes at 12, and he goes at 3, and then he goes at 5. And probably the end of the day is an hour later, around 6 o'clock. All right? So he keeps going back, and he pays all these individuals the same thing. He pays them a denarius. Now, as the day is coming to the close, the workday is coming to a close, he says to his foreman, okay, it's time to pay these guys. So these guys gather around. He starts paying them. And the text says, Jesus says, that's the last guys who are hired who get paid first. So the guys who worked one hour from five to six, they get paid. The guys who started at 3, then they get paid. The guys at noon, they get paid. The guys who start at 9, they get paid. And finally, the guys who started around 5 or 6 in the morning, they get paid. They get paid last. And they all get paid the same thing. They get paid that day's wage. They get paid the denarius. Now, you can almost, as the story's going on, you can almost um, anticipate or predict what's going to happen with those guys who worked the longest part of the day. They think, what's going on here? Because they see this all happening. They see this transpiring, okay? And they're like, they say to the owner in today's language, what's up with this? How fair is that? Listen, the guys who worked one hour, you paid a day's wage, and you paid us the same wage. Now, the fact of the matter is we worked the most hours of the day, and we worked during the hottest part of the day. The guys who worked at five and who worked one hour, they didn't have to bear the heat of the day, and yet you pay them the same. That's not fair. See how simple the story is? And then the response of the vineyard owner is really interesting. He says to these guys, listen, I understand you started early in the morning, but did you not agree? Did we not agree that, that I would pay you denarius? Well, I did. I paid you denarius. I paid you the day's wage. I didn't say I'll pay you denarius and, and end up paying you a quarter or half because I lied to you. No, no, no. I kept my word. There's no injustice here. This is a completely just and fair situation. I paid you the denarius. So if I choose as a vineyard owner, which is my prerogative, which is my right, to pay these guys who work just a few hours or even one hour of the day the same as you, what's it to you? You agreed to a denarius, I paid you. And if I want to pay these guys the same amount, it's my right to do that. Or, says the owner, and he gets into the heart of the situation, are you guys just upset? Are you ticked off because I'm actually generous to these individuals? Now, we would like to think that we would be different, right, than these guys who are complaining. We would like to think, perhaps, that we get paid, and we'd be happy with the pay, and the guys who work maybe just a few hours or one hour, we see that they get paid the same, and we'd like to think, you know, we would say, well, you know what, I don't understand it, but boy, did you get the good end of the stick, you know? You got the pay the same as we did. Man, that's wonderful. I'm glad. 
But that's not the way that we are. We think this is entirely unfair. This is not right. So basically, what is this story all about? What's the, what's the basic story behind this? What is the meaning of this story? Well, if we want to understand the story, we have to understand the symbolism of this story. Okay? So it begins with the vineyard owner. Anybody want to guess who the vineyard owner is in the story? The symbol? Who's the, who's the vineyard owner represent? God. Yeah, God. Jesus, God. Right? And then you got the vineyard, and the vineyard is the kingdom of God, the kingdom over which God rules. God rules over all things, and his power is represented over all things. He owns it all, and he controls it all. So you have the vineyard owner who represents God. You have the vineyard that represents the kingdom of God. You have the workers are those who serve the vineyard owner in the vineyard, in the kingdom of God. And then you have the denarius, which is the pay or the reward for serving in the kingdom of God. And then finally, what you have is you have the end of the day, which is eternity. That's the symbolism. Again, very simple. And when you look seriously at the story, um, and you really meditate on it, and you meditate on the symbolism, what you understand, and what Jesus teaching, is teaching us, is something about the gospel of grace. The good news of grace, that God is, is a gracious God. What do we mean by that? When we talk about grace, we're talking about things like the love, the provision, the mercy, the beauty, and the favor of God to those who are in need. And every one of us, and every human being on this earth is needy. Grace is a very beautiful thing. Christians talk about grace, and the Bible talks about grace as a gift. Why does the Bible talk about grace as a gift? It's, it's because it's not something that is earned through payment or through working toward it. Grace is free. Grace is sovereign. Grace is a gift, and that's what makes grace so beautiful and tasty. And we see that grace here. We see a number of things about this grace. First of all, when God exercises his grace, he takes the initiative in giving that grace. That's the first thing. He takes the initiative. Why do I say that? Because remember, there are parallels here. There's symbolic parallels. You've got the vineyard owner. What does the vineyard owner do? He's got this vineyard that needs to be harvested. And so what does he do? He takes the initiative. He goes to the marketplace. It's not like you've got guys in the marketplace who are hanging around and doing nothing, and they go, you know what, we probably should get a job, and we know that that farmer over there needs to have his grapes harvested, so I think we should go over there and ask him if he wants us to work. That's not, that's not what we see in the story. Notice in the story, on a number of occasions, these guys are idle. You know what idle means? Not, not an idol that you bow down and serve. Idle means to somebody, there's guys who aren't working. There are guys who are just standing around doing nothing. And there's a lot of people like that in the world where they're just, they're idle. And it, that doesn't mean that they're just, they're not working hard and not, they're not busting themselves to, to, to get done what they need to get done in order to, to, to make a living. There are a lot of hardworking people, but it doesn't mean that they're hardworking when it comes to the things of God. Many are idle. Working hard in the world but they're actually just kind of standing around when it comes to the things of God. It's hard to light a fire under them. 
God always takes the initiative with his grace. And then secondly, what we see is like the vineyard owner, God also keeps taking the initiative with his grace. I find this very interesting. Notice the vineyard owner. He keeps going out to the marketplace. So he goes early in the morning, but he says, that's not enough. I'm going to go at 9 and at 12 and at 3 and at 5. And that's what God does throughout the history of the world. God initiates his grace, and he brings his grace to individuals in the world. And he has been doing this throughout the centuries. He keeps going back. Our God is a missionary God. He's not satisfied just to gather himself a people like he did with the people of Israel and go, okay, now I got my people. I'm satisfied. No, no, no. God is not satisfied. God is a missionary. God keeps going out to the world and keeps initiating his grace in the lives of people that changes them. A third thing we see here is this, that God, in this passage, God rewards those who respond to that grace and who serve him in his kingdom. I'll say that again. He rewards those who respond to his grace and serve him in his kingdom. Just like these guys who were once standing around, they agree, okay, we'll go to work in your vineyard. And they serve the vineyard owner in the, in the vineyard. They work for him. They labor for him. And what does he do? The vineyard owner. He rewards them. He rewards them with a denarius. He rewards them with pay. And it was a very generous pay for them. And that's what God does as well. He responds to those who say, you know what? I'm done being idle. I'm done just hanging out and doing nothing for the kingdom of God. I need to get my act together. I need to respond to God's goodness and grace. And so they do, and they start serving him in a way that they didn't before. And then finally this, and this is the real kicker of the story. God rewards those who respond to his grace and who serve him in his kingdom. And he rewards them, listen to this, he rewards them in the same way whether they have responded to that grace in the early point of their life or the later point of their life, just like the vineyard owner. He paid the guys who worked one hour the same as the guys who worked all day in the hottest part of the day. The reward is the same. The pay is the same for the service rendered as a response to that grace, that initiating grace. And you know what? That just seems... It just doesn't, doesn't seem right. It doesn't, in terms of our human self... It, it just doesn't seem quite right, doesn't seem quite fair. Listen, listen to the workers in the passage. Verse 8. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired men about the eleventh hour came, each of them received, notice, a denarius, now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive actually more because they've served longer, they worked longer, but each of them also received a denarius, and on, the rece and, and on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching of the heat. And our natural reaction is like, yeah, you know, those guys got a point. Come on, man, you work nine hours, you get nine hours pay. You work one hour, you get one hour pay. That's the fair thing. My friends, this is the philosophy of every religion in the world. Every religion in the world, other than the Christian faith, teaches a religion of performance. You're rewarded according to your performance. If you perform well and long enough, 
you're going to get a great reward. And if you haven't, you're going to have a less reward. Or if you believe in karma, where your works follow you, right? You didn't do a lot of good works. You'd be a nasty person. You're going to come back in a lesser life form where your life is going to be harder. But if you've done well and you've been a good person, then the karma is going to work in your favor, right? Every other religion other than Christian faith is performance Based. I don't care if it's Islam or if it's Hinduism or if it's Buddhism or if it's Judaism. It's not to say that these religions don't require faith in God, but ultimately works must accompany that faith for you to merit something before God, for Him to accept you and for Him to love you. Right? Even people, even people who say, you know what, um, I'm not religious in the sense that I belong locally to a temple or a mosque or a church, but I'm still a spiritual human being. And yet I find it very interesting in talking with these kinds of people, many of them admit that the life that we live here is not the only life, that there is something beyond. And many of them say, I believe that there is a bad place and there is a good place. They may not say hell or heaven, but that's what they're getting at. And when you ask them, how do you know you're going to get to the good place? You know what they say, Right. Well, you know, I haven't been a perfect person. Nobody's perfect, but you know, I've been pretty good. I haven't been a murderer, adulterer, or anything like that. It's always the same. Jesus teaches us something quite different. Jesus teaches us acceptance with God is not performance-based. It is grace-based. Grace is that gift that, that works in us and enables us to see ourselves in the mirror for who we really are. And that is broken individuals and sinful individuals who are in need of God's grace and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, which when we receive these things as a gift in Christ, he turns around and says, now I want you to work in my vineyard. I want you to serve me. But not in a way that, think, that makes you think, well, okay, I've received grace, but now I've got to keep working. Yeah, we got to work for the Lord. we got to serve Him in His kingdom, but not with the idea, and this is a really important point, not with the idea that somehow in the end we're going to merit anything with God. When we serve Him in His kingdom, it's a response of gratitude and love for all the grace and all the love that the God has given us in Jesus Christ. You see the difference between performance-based religion and grace-based religion. And quite honestly... You know what? Um, that's, that's a hard thing to accept, and I'll tell you why. Because when you talk about grace in the way that I'm talking about it now and the way that Jesus teaches it, it seems too good to be true and too easy. Too easy. I, as, as a pastor, um, as you can imagine, I deal with all kinds of individuals. And I have, I have worked with Christians who have been a part of the faith for a long time, but deeply rooted in them still is always just a smidgen of performance which always, always goes south. And I'll tell you why. Because you can deal with somebody who, who's been a Christian all their lives, and they'll talk about grace, and they'll talk about Jesus, and they'll talk about the forgiveness of sins, but, but there's, there's always something that they think, there's, there's something in a sense that they have to do, or they've been a particularly bad person, they feel. And I've been inconsistent at best in my walk of faith and all that, and then they end up beating themselves up. So easy. I know there are many of us here who at different times of our lives feel that way. You know, and then what happens in the end? You lack assurance. Does God really love me? Does God really accept me now? Will he accept me after I die? Performance religion, performance religion, not grace. Not grace. It's hard to accept, just as it's hard to accept for these guys. But listen finally, listen to the vineyard owner, verse 13. But he replied to one of these men who are complaining, friend, 
I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I paid you. And if I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you, that's my prerogative. Am I not allowed to do what I choose, what belongs to me? Are you just upset because I'm generous? Oh, God is so much more generous than we give him credit for. That also is a hard truth to accept. Gener- the generosity of God, despite really who we are as people, you know, it, it just, again, it seems too good to be true. But it is true. The gospel is true. That's what makes it such good news. It's beautiful. Friends, please listen very carefully to this as we draw to a close. Grace is generous. Grace takes a person where they're at, no matter how disgusting and dirty and everything that they have done that has been offense to God or others. God takes a person with his grace and he, take, and he initiates that grace in their life and he takes them where they're at when that grace takes hold and he brings them to where they need to be. Grace takes us all on the same terms because we're all in the same boat, whether we are rich or whether we are poor. Whether we have, in our own minds, been morally pretty good or really morally dirty. Whether we are black, whether we are white, whether we are brown, whether we have responded to grace early in our life or later in our life, grace takes us all in the same terms. Because fundamentally, though we all have different stories, we're all in the same boat. We are sinners in need of the grace of God and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, which comes through faith, which itself is a gift that comes from the Lord. And so I leave you with this. Every time I or a pastor leads in worship and he brings the gospel to you, as Jan prayed in his prayer, Lord, help us to listen, but Lord, help us to respond. And you say, well, what is to be my response and your response is to, to respond to the generous grace of God. And if you have enjoyed that grace and you've been walking with Christ, well, then thank, thank him for that. And we're going to fill this out more this afternoon in our service. But if you have not responded to that grace, in fact, if you have, in the words of the Bible, kind of suppressed the Spirit or, or resisted the Spirit or grieved the Spirit or quenched the Spirit, God calls you to one simple thing, and that is to come to the end of yourself and say, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to respond, and this is going to be the day that I am going to follow the Lord, and I am going to respond to his grace. I'm going to give my life to Christ, and I'm going to believe in him, and I'm going to trust that what he did on the cross in payment for my sin, he did it for me, and I believe that. That's the response to the gospel of this passage. May the Lord grant that to us, And every time that we get together, every Sunday, and we hear the gospel of grace, may it, in the end, not only bring a response of faith and obedience, but may it bring a response of joy, because there's nothing better than the gospel of God's glorious, beautiful grace. Join me in prayer, if you would. Heavenly Father, it's really too good to be true. It is. Father, deeply ingrained, we confess here right now, is, is performance. And, and, and Lord, that, that comes to different degrees. And sometimes it lies dormant for so long, but every once in a while it just kind of pops to the surface. Oh God, God help us to kill it. 
And instead, acknowledge your grace and respond to that grace, which is in Jesus Christ. And then, oh Lord, help us to not only confess, but to believe that Jesus is not half a Savior. He's a full Savior. And he is altogether able and willing to love on us, to draw us to himself, and to give us rest. And so, Father, we thank you for that. Draw us to Jesus. This, this, this gift that you have given to us, help us to respond to him. And to respond to him, O oh Lord, with faith, with obedience, and also, O oh God, with joy we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.